But Habakkuk chapter 1, a uh, couple of things in overview. First of all, the name Habakkuk, I don't want to make a big deal about this. Different commentators seem to make a bigger deal about it than others. I'm not trying to make a big deal about it. I found it interesting. I, anyway, the, the Hebrew word that they think the, the name Habakkuk come for, comes from means to embrace. Okay, why is that interesting? It's interesting because as we read through the story of Habakkuk last week, what, what does Habakkuk end up doing? He ends up embracing or clinging to the God of the Bible and what he says. And, and here's this, like, God doesn't give all the details. And we'll talk, talk about that in just a second. But he doesn't give all these details that are neat and tidy. It's more of this Habakkuk's got to step out in faith and, and he's just got to cling to God and cling to what he says. Okay, so, so it's interesting that his name seems to mean to cling to or to embrace. Uh, but again, I'm not going to make a huge... You, interesting, but we'll just leave it there. Second thing, I, this past week, uh, I guess a couple weeks ago, I started listening to a podcast that deals with Hebrew culture, specifically in the Old Testament, and what that looks like, and obviously some of that's going to overflow in the New Testament. And I, I found this interesting, according to this guy I'm listening to, so again, just one guy that I've heard on a podcast talking about it, but, but he talks about a Hebrew culture that's very much stories, right? Oral tradition, uh, they, would, they would share the stories with generation to generation, and you would, you would talk and and he said the stories that they told were, were so different than, than this style of, of American story. Because in America, we want all our stories to be neat and tidy. And, and like there's a nice little bow on the end. And all the loose ends are taken care of. And he says in Hebrew culture, that didn't make a good story. Like a good story was one where you would, uh, you would discuss and, and you would think through. And you would try to put back together and try and figure out how it's going to go. And, and all these, like that ended up being a better story. And so for us, like in the, in the, in the book of Habakkuk, and we'll give a couple examples of this. But the book of Habakkuk, it's not going to be neat and tidy. Like there's going to be moments in this book that we're like, what do we do with this? Like how do we handle that? How is there a God who's going to judge his people with people that are far worse than his people? Like, okay, so again, I'm, we're not looking for neat and tidy. We're not looking for everything to be wrapped up with a little bow. Okay, couple examples. Old Testament, probably probably the most probably the most familiar example, Book of Job. Right, like, like if you walk through the book of Job and you say, man, I, I got it. Like, man, what a, what a great ending and everything just wrapped up nice and neat. Like, no, you, you didn't get the book of Job, I don't think. Because there's a lot of times where it's like, here's advice given to Job. And the Bible doesn't say, hey, this was good advice or this was bad advice. It's just like, here's the advice. Like, we're just recording this. And there's obviously some of that's very bad advice. But in the bad advice, there seems, sometimes seems to be good advice. But, but there's no commentary on that. There's no seeming help on that. And so what do we do with all that? Right? So what do we see in the New Testament? We see in the New Testament that Jesus would share story after story after story, and we call them parables. And yet, what was the, one of the common themes or common questions that they would ask Jesus at the end of a parable? And this is from the 12. This isn't from a large group of people. From the 12, what do they often ask Jesus after hearing a parable? Jesus, what did that mean? Like, like here's the story, and, and we remember it for generations. Like, we remember it 2,000 years later. Like, good story. And yet, the disciples say, Jesus, you need to clarify. You need to help us out. Like, there's too many loose ends almost. Okay, so, so when we go through the book of Habakkuk, our Western way of thinking of a story is not how Habakkuk's written. Okay, so, uh, one example from, from our world. Okay, this is a movie, it's kind of old, I know. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote or reference it probably because it's the, the latest movie I've seen. Uh, but the movie Castaway, which is probably 20 some years old now. Right, so if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, though I probably don't need to give one for a 20 year old movie. 
Okay, but in the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks gets in a plane crash, FedEx boxes, all this stuff. He survives on an island. He makes a raft. He gets off the island. There's one package with some emblem logo on it that he decides for some reason not to open. Why does he not open that package? We don't know. Uh, he gets back to, to wherever he's from, Tennessee or something like that, and, and he delivers the package, and it seems to be in the middle of nowhere, Texas, that he delivers this package to, and no one's home. And so he, like, leaves the package at the door, or leaves it with a person. I forget how it but as he's driving away, he comes to a stop sign, and he's just figuring out where to go, and there's nothing. Like, there's no signs, there's no, no buildings, no really other cars, and this other truck pulls up, and like, hey, how you doing? It's this lady, and they end up talking. Anyway, as she drives away after the conversation, he notices on the back of the truck is the same emblem on the box that he never opened up when he was on the island. And then it says, the end. And I remember watching that movie, and friends of mine were like, I hate that movie. Why? Because it doesn't... What happened? Did he go talk to her? Did he make a U-turn? Did he just leave? Like, like, we don't know the end of the story. Right? So as American culture, we don't probably like books like Habakkuk. That's the point. We want neat and tidy. We want everything to be put together. And we're not going to get that. Okay, last thing before we dive into the text. Habakkuk, real story about a real guy. For some reason, we're really good at making Bible characters and maybe even just historical characters as not real people. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like we're really good at being like, uh, like, like he's going to suffer. Like, this opening line that we're going to cover here this morning, like, as Habakkuk would walk through. Like, sure, he's, he's struggling with God, but his struggle must be different than my struggle with God. Like, his struggle isn't as bad or because he's a prophet. Or, like, somehow we make what we're about to read this morning not applicable to us. Because it happened a long time ago. Because it happened to a prophet. And I'm not a prophet. Like, whatever the reason is, we have a really uh, good way of, of saying, here's what's happening, and here's my life, and yet they're different and set apart and, and all these things. Because okay, So all I'm saying this morning is a real story about a real guy who had a real struggle. So let's not try and separate it from us. Okay? At the same time, we don't want to just read ourselves into it. Okay, let's read the first four verses here of the, of the book of Habakkuk. The oracle, that word can also be translated burden, which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Okay, so, so verse 2, here it is. Like, Habakkuk opens up and he has this conversation with God. And again, we said this last week, but just a reminder, this isn't a prophecy as much as it's a conversation that we get to, 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 to be involved with. We get to listen, be a fly on the wall, if you will. Okay, and the conversation between Habakkuk starts with this, starts uh, with Habakkuk and God starts like this. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? Can we, just, can we just pause? Some of us are in the middle of a how long, O Lord, right now. Like there's some of us right now that we feel like, God, I've been crying for help. I've been crying out to you. And, and the season of life that I am, like, God, I'm in a, I'm in a how long right now. I just, like, we probably all can relate to that whether we've been in one or we're presently in one. There are psychology studies, and we're not going to go down this road too far, but there are psychology studies where they'll give somebody uh, a, a, some sort of test. It's kind of a difficult test, like on paper, math, or word puzzles, or whatever. 
and, and they don't tell them how many are coming. Or they've done this with, with like athletes and people who like to run. Like, hey, we're going to time you on this run. But they don't tell them how long. They don't, they don't say you're going to run this many miles. They don't say you're going you're to run this amount of time. They just kind of say, go run, and we're going to track you. Or go do these really hard mental equations on paper, and we're not going to tell you how many. And, and what they notice is, is, is that people, like in the, the athlete running, he'll give up much sooner when he doesn't know the end. They, they do the same study, and they tell the guy, you're going to run 10 miles, and he runs 10 miles. They tell the other guy, who probably could run 10 miles, and at 8 miles, he'll give up. Why? Because he doesn't know how many more he has. Right? i just saying that to say this. When we read these words, how long, O Lord, while I call for help, there's not an answer. God doesn't say, Habakkuk, you've got two more weeks. Right? He doesn't say you've got two more years. And, and I think it's interesting in that, and we'll get to what, how God responds, verse 5, and later next week. But it's interesting, why? Because, because God doesn't answer with Habakkuk, here's how much longer you have to endure this. He answers with, here's me. Like, here's who I am. Here's the God that you're going to put your trust in. Here's the God who's going to give you the grace and strength to continue for however long you need to continue. Right? And, and what do we do? Uh, we are so tempted as humans, not just, not, you know, just humanity. We're so tempted to just give up. We're so tempted in the how longs of, of God, I'm calling out for help and I, and I need you. And, and we're so tempted just to call it quits. And, and the book of Habakkuk is going to say, no, no, take your eyes off yourself. Put your eyes on the one who gives you the grace and strength to continue. Right? But again, this is real struggle. Like, like you, you think about it, like, like, how long, oh Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? Like, like, we know theology. We understand the Bible. Like, God's omniscient. He knows everything. So he knows every word that would ever come out of my mouth. Like, he hears me. And yet, we've all been in a season of life where we said, how, God, how long will you not hear? Like, we've all been there. It might be sickness, it might be family trouble, it might be whatever, but it's like, God, I've been crying out over and over and over, and it seems like you're not listening. Continuing in verse 2, I cry out to you, violence. That Hebrew word for violence can mean a whole lot of things. Obviously, violence is one that it can reference. It also has this idea of oppression, of of violent leadership, has this idea of corruption, has this idea of wickedness. Generally speaking, it has this idea of the people of God not living like the people of God should. Right. So, so you think all the way back to Exodus, and in, in the book of Exodus, God calls the, the, the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he enters this covenant relationship with them, and it's this picture of a marriage relationship, and they stand before Moses after Moses tells them this is what it's going to look like, and all the people say what? They say, I do. like Just like you would in a marriage, we do, I guess, is what Israel would have said. Right, so then you fast forward from Exodus all the way here to this time of Habakkuk, and what is Habakkuk saying? He's saying they are not living like people of the covenant. There's wickedness, there's oppression, there's violence. Like this is not how it's supposed to go, God. And so can we just stop and, and think about this for a second? Like is this not, like, like in our culture today, just American culture, this is one area where I feel like people walk away from the faith or are never interested in God to begin with. Because what they see or think religion should look like and what they see in the world around them, they come to this conclusion that either, God, you're not good and you're all-powerful or, you're, all powerful, uh, or you're, you're good but you're not all-powerful. 
Right? Like, like Habakkuk's in the struggle. God, God, if you're really God, and if you're really God of this people, and you really saved us, and you really brought us out of Egypt, and you really entered this covenant with us, then this isn't what it's supposed to look like. Right? And we have people in the world today who say, if God's good, then why in the world is this happening? And they come to the conclusion that he must not be all-powerful. He must not be sovereign. He must not be in control. So what do they do? Is they would walk away from the faith or never enter a church or read the Bible because they say, I don't want a God who's not all-powerful. Or they come to the conclusion that he is all-powerful, but he's just really mean. And who wants a relationship with that God? And so again, they, they leave. So, so Habakkuk's, like, this is where he's at. God, how long am I going to cry out and you're not here? How long are you going to put up with this, this corruption and this evil and this wickedness that is taking place in your people? Notice that last word there that he says. Yet you do not save. I think what Habakkuk is saying here is that, that God, you, you're the one that can fix it. Like, God, we, this isn't just mankind thing. Right? This isn't just we need to tweak something. This isn't just Israel. Like, no, God, we need you to intervene into the people of Israel. Like, we need you, God. Like, I'm crying out to you. Why? Because you're the only one that can fix it. You're the only one who can do anything about it, and yet it seems like you're not doing anything. And for some of us, again, is this not where we are at? God, I, I, I got nothing. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't got the next answer. I don't know anything. Like, God, if anything's going to happen, it's, it's going to be because of you, and you're going to intervene, or you're going to do something, and yet we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and it seems like he's doing nothing. Verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? I feel like the, the, the verse 2 is kind of this idea of, of God, like covenant relationship with his people. He's all-powerful. He's able to save, but he's not doing these things. I feel like verse 3 of Habakkuk saying, God, you are holy. Like, like if you're holy, which he is, if you're holy, God, how, how would you continue? How would you let this sin continue? How do you let this wickedness continue? I shared this quote last week. But Bruce Waltke, studying the Old Testament and words of wickedness and unrighteousness and these things, he says that the righteous would disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. And the wicked or the unrighteous would disadvantage the community for the, to advantage themselves. Right? When we talked about this uh, in our small group this week. So many, a uh, couple of us are in the Old Testament, so many of these laws that sit, get so long and they get so burdensome. Yet you can look at these laws, and over and over again, it's this law that you're going to disadvantage yourself for the advantage of the rest of God's people. Like, like a, a, the one that came up, a, a bull is going to gore you. And how do you handle your bull goring somebody else? Or how do you handle, like, how do you, the answer was that you would disadvantage yourself for the advantage of the other person. And so we look at God's law, like, over and over again. What is it? It's that you would be more con consumed, you, you would think more about other people than you think about yourself. And then you look at what? You look at this, this story of Habakkuk. You think this is happening during the end of, of 2 Kings timeline. In 2 Kings, there's kings that are doing things for their own advantage. There's priests who are doing things for their own advantage. There's prophets who are doing things for their own advantage. Like over and over again, there's people who are disadvantaging the people of God for their own, for their own gain. 
And Habakkuk's crying out, God, when are you going to do something about this? How long, holy God, are you going to allow this unholy wickedness to continue in, in, in the life of your people? Continuing in verse 3, Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Like, like this is kind of the result, right? Like, Here's people who, who, who would live wickedly. And, and so what do we see from, from life that's full of sin? There's people who are full of sin. We see destruction. We see, again, this word violence and oppression and, and wickedness and all those things that are going to come from it. That word destruction has this idea of ruin. Like, like people turning and doing their own thing, people not following after God, people giving into the way of the world, people doing all these things. What's happening is, is that the, the destruction and ruin and havoc is becoming more and more a part of the people of God. And Habakkuk is looking at this and he's saying, God, this is not how life's supposed to go. God, like, like I need you to do something. Verse 4. Because of what's happening in verses 2 and 3, he says in verse 4, Therefore, the law is ignored. Greek word literally means to grow numb. It's ineffective. No one pays attention to it. Like, like we found, what, in our minds, we found something better. We found something we'd rather give our life to than, than the God of this universe who created us and saved us and who called us out of Egypt. He says the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. You think about the people of God. The people of God should look like God. It should look like Him. And, and yet, God would be just. And, and he would, everything He does would come from justice. And He says what? He says, justice is not part of our people anymore. For the wicked surround the righteous. That word wicked is one who's deserving punishment. It can also mean this hostility toward God. So these enemies of God. Are, are, are doing what? They're surrounding the righteous. That word surround in Hebrew, it can mean a good thing, like you would surround your, your buddy in a hard time. Like good friends would come around and surround somebody. Uh, but it also was used in battle terms when the enemy surrounded you. And they would lay siege to you. Right, so what's the picture? The picture of, of where Habakkuk's at right now is, is this. And he's saying, for the wicked surround the righteous. Like the wicked seem to be winning. The wicked seem like they're going to pull out the victory here, God, and, and, and that's not what's supposed to happen. right? If you're a sports fan or grew up playing sports, cheaters never prosper. right? Everyone ever said that. Well, it sure seems like they do. right? Like, like this dude cheated four years ago. He still got a Super Bowl ring. This guy cheated. He still won the World Series. This guy took steroids. He still got a home run champion. Like, like you cheat and you win. You got millions of dollars. You got lots of fame. Like, it seems like it worked out well for you. Habakkuk, same story. God, we look at your word, and the wicked aren't supposed to be the ones winning, and yet he says, God, I'm looking around me, and the wicked seem to be the ones who are winning. So, God, what do we do? Like, we need you. God, we, we need you to come and to intervene and to do something, and it doesn't seem like you're listening. End of verse 4. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Again, the people of God should what? They should look like God. And, and God perverted, just twisted and crooked and, and changed. And, like, that's not who our God is. He doesn't twist things. He doesn't manipulate things to work out in his favor. And yet, here's Habakkuk saying, this is what the people of God looks like. We're wicked. We're far from you. Uh, this idea of justice would be perverted. 
we don't look like the people that stood before you in Exodus and said, we do. Like, like that covenant that we entered into looks nothing like where we are now, God. And so, God, we need you to do something about that. Okay, so, so next week then, what are we going to do? We're going to dive into God's response. And God's response is, is interesting. Right? It's, it's unexpected. Like, if we didn't read it last week and we only read it back for your first time ever reading a backache, next week you'd be like, whoa, that's, that's not what I expected. Okay, but what do we do with these first four verses? Okay, I just have three things and, and fair game in a discussion group to talk more. Um, I'm looking forward to discussion group. But three things from these four verses. If you're in a season right now where you're thinking, God, how long? I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. Like, you're not alone in that everyone in this room probably has had the same feeling. So everyody in this room probably has had the same season of God, how long? But not only that, you're not alone in that you can read through Habakkuk, you can read through most of the Psalms. And over and over again, there's this, this feeling of, God, when are you going to do something? God, how are you going to do something? Like, like this feeling of, God, I just, just want you to do something. God, things are broken, I need you to fix and so, so I don't want to, like, I want us to be careful with it. Don't beat yourself up over the fact that you're, you're struggling with God and what's going on. Like, like, don't beat yourself over those things. But at the same time, let's not, let's not just stay there. Like, let's dive into the text and let's look for answers and let's bring about this community that, to help us and, and to encourage us and point us back to him. Okay, second thing. Habakkuk is broken. He's mournful. Like, we've seen that. I don't know how to say this. It's just going to come out. Um, we'll pick the Super Bowl since we already mentioned that this morning. I feel like as our culture, we allow things like the Super Bowl to cause us to doubt God. My team didn't win. So God, are you really good? Like, like my internet went out for the afternoon. It's like, God, God, I can't, I can't check Facebook right now. Like, like God, are you good? Are you in control? I, and I, I feel like just American culture, church, where we're at right now, like I feel like it's very easy for us to doubt God over things that should never cause us to doubt God. Right? There's certain things. There's cancer. There's sickness. There's family. Like, okay, there's things like that. Like, all right, let's, let's, let's enter in this struggle. Like, God, what are you doing? Like, fair enough. But to be able to check yourself and be like, the, the screen on my phone is now cracked. I, that's not something where I go ask God if he's still holy and in charge and sovereign. Like that shouldn't be something that, that wrecks my universe. And so Habakkuk struggles. We get that. But, but notice what he struggles over. The people of God and what God's doing and these things. Okay? Uh, last thing. And, and a quote from Ken Fentress. Austin, are you able to switch slides? Oh, you are. Look at that. Um, all right, so Ken would say this. Big picture. Like, let me give you a little zoom out. Uh, we're going to zoom out. I feel like what we do as, as just Westerners and Americans, it's a lot about the individual. Right? And going through Ephesians, going through the Sermon on the Mount, going through other things that we've gone through in the last year or two, I feel like there's this big picture of the kingdom of God, the people of God, and it's more than just the individual. Right? So, so trying to zoom out here uh, from just the individual and what we're going through, here's what Ken Fentress would say. In the same way, which is a horrible way to start a quote, but I didn't know where else to start it. In the same way, it seems that trouble and iniquity characterize the present culture, cultural landscape of our society. It seems as though people go on sinning against the commands of God with impunity. One question we should ask ourselves is whether we have the same perspective on the sinfulness of human society as Habakkuk. He was disturbed, not amused, by the sinfulness of society. 
Are we amused by the current state of our society or are we proudly uh, concerned for the, the consequences of sin on humanity? If Christians do not weep over the lostness of society, then there is no hope for society. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, according to Jesus, Matthew 5. I found that quote interesting. In that, I, not being on social media as much anymore, but on social media, people who had professed Christ would post things on, on their social media that I was like, Christians that had nothing to do with that. And they would proudly join in. And here, I just... Ken would say, do we have the same perspective on sinfulness that we would we'd be broken and disturbed, not amused? Like, like, hopefully we're praying for one another. Hopefully we pray for our church. But like, when's the last time we prayed over our society and the brokenness of what's going on in the world around us? When's the last time we cried and mourned over, over the sin that's taking place in our, in our county, in our city, in our area, in our neighborhood? And so again, like we are all in, in some sort of struggle like Habakkuk's in, and, and yet at the same time, I want us to recognize there's, there's more than this, just that that's going on in the world. And so we want to pray for our struggle, but we also want to pray that God would intervene in, in our communities and in our counties and in our country and throughout the world. All right, let's pray. Slides look like they're working. We'll sing, and then after all that, we'll get back to discussion group. But let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the book of Habakkuk. Thank you that that we are not alone, that we don't, we don't have to struggle with some of these ideas and, and feel like we're, we're just really bad at Christians. God, thank you that there's others before us who have struggled. Thank you that we get this conversation between you and Habakkuk, and we get to, we get to dive into it, and we get to exp- learn from it. So God, in, in the struggle, whatever struggle we might be in right now, in our struggle, we pray that we would, we would run to you. We would go to you. We'd find you and find your word. We'd find others to encourage us. God, I pray that you'd use whatever struggle we're in now to grow us, to grow our knowledge of you, to grow our understanding of you. May you help us to love you more and more. May you help us to be more and more like your son. We pray these things in his name.